You're listening to a North Valley Church podcast. Thanks so much for joining. For more information and resources, you can visit us online at northvalley.org. All right, all right. Thank you so much. I'll take that. Perfect. Well, good morning, everybody. Good to be with you guys. Good to see some of you I haven't seen in a little while. So um, I was gone this last week. I was in Flagstaff. And so uh, today we have a bunch of junior hires in the room. Everybody give them a big round of applause. Great to have you guys. So uh, this weekend we're gonna, and next weekend we're highlighting a lot of the uh, youth work. And we've got some incredible and exciting announcements for student ministries that's going to be happening in the next uh, few weeks. So don't miss... Um, we're in for a great season. Um, yeah, I was in Flagstaff. I spent seven nights in my camper. It was awesome. Uh, my wife and I were together for many of those nights. And then a couple, couple days, uh, my son came up and we camped together. And then we went prairie dog hunting. And that was awesome. And then um, uh, if you know where any are at, just let me know. I can take care of them for you. Uh, we had a, just a great time. We did some dog training with my dogs and uh, just got to hike and just enjoy uh, a little higher elevation. So how many of you get out and get to the higher country during the summer? Raise your hand. Yep, all of you. That's what shows in the church attendance. I agree. Uh, that's, why we're doing, that's why we're doing Thursday night services too, is we want to help, uh, help you uh, reach people that are in the outdoors and also a lot of those firefighters, uh, those police officers, a lot of the folks in the service industry um, are working weekends and you get paid up overtime. And so we want to provide that opportunity. It will be the first service of our week. So when I'm preaching a series, it'll be the first service will be Thursday night. It'll be an identical service uh, to here. And then, um, you know, Sunday, it'll be the second and the third. So that's how we're going to do it. Um, this morning, I got an exciting announcement. Uh, our elder team has spent the last six months uh, doing an intensive uh, kind of uh, look at bringing on a new member to the elder team. And so I want to invite Steve Sutton up. If you're in the room, Steve, you guys welcome Steve. He's an elder, an incredible man. And so, Steve, if you would just share a little bit. Um, we have chosen as a team uh, Lee Swartzman Trooper as a man to join our team, but share with the church a little bit about him for just a second. Okay. Morning. Um, uh, I'd like to introduce Lee Schwarzentrooper. Um, he, uh, Lee and I have worked together on the CARES team for many years and have done many projects together. We also have done, done a lot of mission trips together. <clears throat> I love working with Lee. He's a very wise man. If you don't know Lee, you should. Lee and his wife, Kathy, have been married for 55 years. They have three children, two daughters and a son, all married, seven grandchildren, and two great-grandsons. Lee has become very involved in church ministry since he moved into the valley in 1996. Jesus has been his personal savior for many, many years. He was drawn to North Valley Church for the strong biblical teaching shortly before the pandemic and became a member shortly after. He retired from construction as a, and as a city building inspector. He enjoys woodworking, and he's very good at it. He enjoys helping others and being very involved with the I-68 mission in Mexico and volunteering here at North Valley Church. He loves and cares for North Valley Church and believes it is a place to grow together. We love and believe in him and that God has called him to serve as an elder at this church. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Steve. 
Um, so let me tell you about our process uh, over the last, uh, really about a year, and we, have a, we always generate a list of qualified guys uh, that could serve as an elder. So if you will, uh, you can look in your Bible, if you will. We'll just pull it up just for a moment. First Timothy 3, there's qualification. So if you've got a smartphone or a hard copy Bible, you can get there. First uh, Timothy 3, it talks about these qualifications, the kind of guys that you need to be looking for in the church. And God, God calls for the man to lead, lead it in love, uh, lead through sacrificial service, not only in the home, but in the church as well. We've got a lot of men engaged in ministry. We've got a lot of men engaged in missions at this church. And so men, you should look at this and say, I want to be this kind of guy. Many of you are, and I've approached you, our elder team has approached you in years past and say, hey, we see a lot of these qualities in you. Would you consider eldership? So we have a big list of guys, uh, and we spend a very long time evaluating, praying, uh, investigating, in and in not in a bad sense, but doing even informal interviews with people that know or that are on the list and uh, with people that they know. So here it is. I'll just read it. This is a trustworthy saying, 1 Timothy 3. This is a trustworthy th- uh, saying that if anyone aspires to the office of an overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may uh, become puffed up with conceit and fall into condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, uh, that he may not fall into disgrace and into the snare of the devil. Uh, Lee is this guy. He's every bit of this guy and and more. Um, As an elder team, we look at the biblical qualifications as not as the maximum requirement, but actually as the minimum. And so we clarify a couple of points. I'll, I'll share them with you. These are great for especially Christian leaders. Number one, we want to know, is Lee clearly called not only to Jesus Christ as Lord, but is he called to this church, North Valley? Not another church, this church. And, and he's got to demonstrate that. A clear calling to Jesus and his church. Uh, number two, does he have the character Uh, that is represented in Scripture. I mean, if he doesn't, then that's a disqualifier. And people feel called to our church and want to serve and lead, but their character is not in shape. And character, the only way you see character is over time. And so um, the character is another one. Uh, You got to have that. And then number three for us, it's um, just capacity. Does he have the time to do it? You know, do you have the emotional time to deal with the problems that are going to come up? Do you have the literal, the physical capacity of time of being able to do the job that you're supposed to do? And the answer for us was yes, absolutely he does. And he's expressed that interest and desire. Um, Another one would just be is just competency. Does he have the specific scale skills for the season and time that we're asking him to serve? What can he bring to the table? Um, And then uh, another one would just be is just chemistry. Uh, Does he have a relational chemistry with North Valley? Does he have a relational chemistry with our staff, our church, our elders? Will we get along with him? 
And the answer is yes. And so here's what we want to do. For us, we really believe that this is the man. Our elder team picks elders. We get feedback from staff. We get feedback from uh, uh, church members. And so um, we're, our plan is, is to train Lee up. He'll go into his public ministry here at the church uh, in August. But we want to give you an opportunity as a, a member of this church. If you see that maybe we missed something, then you can, you can say, hey, uh, here's an area I feel like he should grow in or whatever. Just make sure if you send that email to one of our elders, make sure your name is on it. If it's not on it, then we don't want to entertain it. So I uh, got to pony up and put your name on it if you're going to make a complaint against one of our guys like that. We think he's top notch. He's a servant leader. Um, and the plan is, is that we're going to train him. Um, and his ministry would start in August. And so we're very proud of him grateful for him. Um, the teaching that I'm going to do over the next five weeks, you're going to see, I think uh, Lee really is an incredible servant leader. And so we're grateful for all the elders that have served on this team, all the men that have um, served in different capacities. And um, God is at work. And I'm grateful for you, Lee, your humility, your service, uh, your dedication. I think the greatest testimony out of Lee is of 55 years of marriage, is modeling the gospel of Jesus Christ, of unconditional love and grace and forgiveness. And that is the biggest magnifier of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so let's thank God for that in his life. Um, and then too, he's got a long track record of faithfulness to church. Most people go to church and they leave a church when they disagree with something. If you can agree with a church 70% of the time, you should stick in and stay there. And uh, Lee's got a track record of not church hopping, but being partnered in the church and serving for the glory of God. So let's pray and uh, move forward. Lord, thank you for this morning. We are grateful for the men um, just of high character, high character. Um, we pray, God, just for the blessing and the anointing and the empowerment uh, for, for Lee Father, if there's somebody here that feels like we have missed something, we pray that you would reveal that to us very clearly. And Lord, we pray that in August that we would corporately celebrate um, his installment and uh, public ministry. We thank you for this church, and we ask for your blessing and favor in exponential manners for this year to come. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. All right, John chapter 13, if you will, go ahead and open up your Bible. Um, we're back in the Gospel of John for the next five weeks. We're resuming what looks like it's going to be easily a two-year study in the Gospel of John or more. Um, we're starting a new five-part series called Show Me. Uh, the title of the sermon series is called Show Me, and what we're asking is for God to show us what it looks like to be humble. What, is, what does it look like to experience um, God in a fresh new way. When we look at John chapter 13, we're exploring key teachings from John 13 each week. In the next five weeks, we're going to focus on a, dis a different aspect of the teaching of Jesus Christ. And so the next five weeks, I'll do a review of the Show Me series, an overview. Um, today, you're going to learn about seven marks of the humble servant of Jesus Christ. You're going to learn about well, what does it look like to uh, be a follower of Jesus Christ. We're going to see Jesus as the primary example. We're going to unpack the power of humility and the influence that it has. Uh, next week, I'm going to be covering the, the high calling of Christian service. 
How many of you serve in the church? Would you just raise your hand just for a moment so I can see you? And thank everybody that serves in the church. Thank you so much. Come on, celebrate them. Thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah, hey, the, and ev- we're going to be challenging over the next five weeks and saying God has called you to serve. And so we want to encourage you to do that, a high calling for service. Next week, I'll be teaching on that. The third week, I'm going to be teaching about the, 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 what it feels like to be betrayed by a believer. How many of you have ever been betrayed by a believer? Raise your hand. Don't nudge the person's ribs next to you. Uh, but yeah, uh, we're going to address the pain and the hurt that comes with betrayal. Judas betrays Jesus. Ju- uh, Judas betrays Jesus, and we're going to learn lessons from that. Part four, we'll learn about the glory and the story, glimpses of God's glory, even in the midst of pain and betrayal. Uh, the following week, we'll learn about the law of love and uh, the transformative power it, that we can experience through that. Um, so throughout this series, I think you're going to get a deep dive into John chapter 13 and, and what it looks like to serve, uh, what it looks like uh, to experience betrayal and still find God's glory in the midst of all this. So let's get started in opening up the scriptures. If you've got a smartphone, you can open it up there. We have an app. Um, or if you need a Bible, we have some in the back or you've got yours with you. But here, here we are. Um, verse 1, chapter 13, verse 1. It says, uh, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Um, During supper, when the devil had already put it in the heart of Judas Iscariot, uh, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from the supper uh, he laid aside, his, uh, laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Uh, then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we would pray for this morning. I pray that you would prepare the hearts for the message that I've prepared. I pray... Lord, and I thank you that you've ministered to me through the study of the scriptures. I pray now that you minister to all who hear your word. Uh, you alone are the key for salvation. You alone are the hope of the world. Your truth brings life. Might we discover it today. We are your servants, and you are the master. You are king of glory. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Um, it was late at night when I received a phone call. At the time, uh, I was living down in Waco, Texas, attending a little McClellan Community College. We were down in Waco before Waco was cool. Uh, this is in the aftermath of the David Koresh incident, unfortunately, and Chip and Joanne hadn't been there yet. Uh, so it was very skeptical as to why we were going down to Waco. But it was a really, there was a kind of a revival that was going on down there. Um, and I went to school down there just for a little bit. I wanted to live with other Christian friends of mine that were following the Lord. I had been a believer for just a few years, and I attended a church that had a very strong emphasis on missions. And so I was there, and uh, Kurt gave us a call one night. It was late at night. Kurt was a missionary, and and, uh, to receive a phone call from him was an honor. He'd served overseas for a number of years with his wife and his children. He had been persecuted. Um, They were in Turkey. In Iran, um, 
many people came to faith through Kurt's ministry, and it was a, he was an incredibly humble man, but very strong man. Uh, he had shared his testimony through the church, and to get a phone call from him was pretty amazing. And here's what he said. He said, hey guys, I know you guys are all on fire for Jesus, and I want to come over, and I want to share with you some things that God's laid on my heart, and I'd like to pray for you. And I said, well, that's pretty cool. So he comes in late at night, and we're all sitting there. We're up late at night as college students, and he walks in, and he says, I know this is a little odd, but I've been praying for you guys, and I believe that some of you are going to do some great things for God. I've been praying for you a lot, and I want to help encourage you and prepare you for your ministry and your work ahead. I thought, this is so cool. We're probably going to sit on the couch, and Kurt's going to pray for us. This is great. And then he grabbed this bag that he had been carrying with him, and he opened it up, and he had some, he had, uh, uh, some towels, and he had a Bible. And he looked over at my buddy, and he said, could you go into the kitchen and grab a big bowl and fill it up with water and then bring it back, and all you guys sit down? I thought, oh, no. What is he about to do? Yeah. He opened his Bible, and he read John chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. And he said, just as the Lord had prepared his disciples for ministry, they had no idea what they were going to get into. You guys are in the same boat. You really don't know. Many of the guys that I was sitting in that room that night, they went on to be missionaries in, in uh, Iran and Turkey, Guatemala. And uh, I didn't know at the time I would go on to start, and start a church. Kurt sat down and um, he said, I'd like to wash your feet tonight. And I remember thinking, God bless you. I hope you don't wash my feet. I hope we run out of time. Because I thought my feet, I thought, good grief, my feet probably stink. This isn't going to be good. And uh, he bent down and he washed our feet. I was the last one he came to. And when he was done, he looked at me and he said, God bless you. Serve the Lord the rest of your life. He goes, I don't care if it's in the business world or in the church world, you serve Jesus. And then he closed up his uh, time. He prayed for us and he walked out the door and we never saw him again. Um, that was an unforgettable night for me. I did the math. I've lived like some 16,000 nights. I mean, like that's a long time. It feels like <laughs> some of you that are young, you're like, can you live that many nights? Uh, I've lived some 16,000 nights. That's a night I'll never forget. Um, let me tell you about the last night that Jesus had with his disciples. Uh, as we open the scriptures today, we're going to witness this sacred act of foot washing that the Lord performed on his disciples. It was Thursday night. It was Thursday night before Friday. Friday, Jesus would hang on the cross. It was all happening like this. Uh, all the disciples were there. It was the season of Passover. So the Jerusalem was overwhelmed with thousands and thousands and thousands of people coming in to commemorate the time of the Passover when the angel of death came through and wiped out uh, the firstborn children of Egypt. See, God had sent uh, warning signs in, it, to Egypt that they should release the people, and Moses spoke to Pharaoh, and in his pride and arrogance, he rejected Moses' request, and God warned them again and again by sending plagues. The Egyptians would witness 10 different plagues when water was turned into blood, when fraught with a, um, 
frogs and gnats and flies and livestock diseases and boils on their bodies and hail and thunderstorms and locust infestations and darkness over the sky. And the last one was the worst. It was the death of the firstborn child. These plagues were the result of God's judgment against a wicked idolatry and utter rejection of God's clear commands. As a result, these ten plagues were just the consequences of stubbornness and pride and rebellion. And the angel of death did exactly what was said, swept over the land of Egypt. But God had a promise that all those who believed in Him and would wipe blood, the, the blood of a spotless lamb over the doorpost, would be saved from the wrath. And the angel did that, and it happened just like that. After the death, the angel of death passed by, every firstborn child was killed. The only one safe were those that obeyed the Lord, wiped the blood of the lamb over the doorpost. That is the season of Passover. They're remembering, believers still do, are remembering God's incredible deliverance of them from Egypt when the angel of death wiped out all those um, that had rejected him. And in Passover, all these Jewish people are coming together, and it's a week-long celebration or more, and they're remembering, and Jesus institutes on the Last Supper, the Thursday night, he takes the bread, he takes the wine, and he's saying, do this in remembrance of me. And so what is the significance of this? The significance of this is that Jesus Christ is that spotless lamb. John said in the beginning of his gospel, behold, the lamb of what? Who takes away the sins of the what? And he would have to die on Friday night because that was the culmination of the Passover. And so he, in a sense, when he's doing this, when the scene that we're about to set, when Jesus, after supper, he's already taught communion, he'd already instituted communion, that's when he's going to wash feet. So in a sense, what he's saying is, I'm that Passover lamb, I'm that sacrifice for sins, I'm that one that can heal you, help you, I'm your provision, I'm your protection. And Jesus is doing this on that Thursday night with all the disciples there. You've probably seen the famous scene with the Leonardo da Vinci, uh, create, the mural created back in 1495. All the disciples are facing in one direction. Uh, that's not how it would have been. They didn't pose for a picture like, hey, snap a photo. They're all encircled around each other. They're sitting down around a short little table with cushions. And Jesus has been teaching about communion. He's putting himself in that vision and picture of that he is the Passover lamb, that by his blood, the most powerful substance on earth and throughout the universe, that's their protection, that's their provision. He's predicted his death. John is reclining at his side, his nearest and dearest. And John, the gospel of John is the only book the only gospel that records this act that we're going to look at today is the foot washing. Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, those are synoptic gospels. They don't mention it. Why does John mention it, but nobody else does? Well, I think because nobody else mentioned it. So John's going to take that information from Matthew, Mark, and Luke and the information that he has and say, hey, guys, you missed a really important part of the night. Everybody was talking about communion, but how about, how about foot washing? And 
Many of you never have even experienced foot washing, or many of you have never seen foot washing, and it's not a very common practice in the church, and I'm not suggesting that before you leave today, we're going to wash everybody's feet, uh, but it's incredible deep meaning behind it, and it is important to slow down and to look at it. So let me just help you understand foot washing. How many of you guys wear sandals on a regular basis or flip-flops? Raise your hand. Real high. Okay. I, we live in a desert, and it's very dusty, and we all sweat a lot, so I hope all of you wash your feet, you know? Uh, and, and so I wear uh, Chacos as a certain brand of, of flip-flops. I got some other little, um, you know, cheap flip-flops that I love, and, um, and they stink after a while. And so it was the same way in the Bible times, but even worse, because in the Bible times, it was dusty, it was dirty, and there was dung. The three Ds. Your feet were going through dust, dirt, and dung all the time. They, they didn't have paved roads. They didn't have um, uh, sidewalks to get onto. It was dirt trails. And if you go with me to Israel, I'll take you on some of those dirt trails. Most of them are all paved now. Um, but people's feet would get dirty. So if you were to knock on somebody's door to get in, there was oftentimes a bowl or a basin right at the door with a little stool, and you're to sit down, and you're to wash your own feet if you're special. Then the servant would come through and wash your feet for you. And so when we look at this, I think the question comes is like, man, like, if the servants are supposed to wash feet, why is King Jesus washing feet? Um, Jesus is the Son of God. He's already said that. Jesus is the Savior of the world. He's already said that. Jesus is the Messiah. He already said that. He's the Christ. He's the Lamb of God. Uh, John the Baptist said that. Jesus already said he was the good shepherd. Jesus already said he was the light of the world. Jesus already said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and the life. Jesus is the alpha. Jesus is the omega. So why does he do this? Um, I think there's deep meaning behind this. I love slowing down this week and studying. All I did was I studied the actions of Jesus and I think there's profound meaning and depth behind the actions. So my big idea today is if you know more of who he is, then you will better know how to live. The more you know who God is, the better you will know how to live. Let's say that together. The more you know who he is, the better you'll know how to what? Live. You know, we forgive because he forgave us. We love because he first loved us. We serve because Jesus serves. When you know who he is, you'll know how to live. Um, let's study the passage, verse 1. Look in the scripture. It says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come. Number one, Jesus knew that his hour had come. <laughs> he had a knowledge. It's not like it took him by surprise. It's not like he panicked and thought, oh, shoot. He knew, the scripture says he knew that his hour had come. What does this mean? All throughout the gospels, we've read that his, his hour had not yet come. 
Uh, If you recall with me in John 2, when Mary suggested that he kind of fix the wine problem at the wedding in Cana, he performed maybe a miracle. He replied, my hour has not yet what? It hasn't yet come. Uh, Additionally, uh, in John 7, when we read during the Feast of Booths earlier, there was a division among the people regarding Jesus, and some Jesus wanted wanted, uh, Jesus arrested, and no one could lay a hand on him. Nobody could get to him. He like slips through the crowd because his hour, the appointed time of his arrest, and all the details leading up to the crucifixion, it says that so they were seeking to arrest him, but no one could lay a hand on him because his hour had not yet what? And hadn't yet come. So what's going on? Well, for so long in Jesus's life, right? For so long in Jesus's life, his hour had not yet come. Nobody's going to be able to arrest him. Nobody's going to be able to crucify him. Nobody can get to him. Why? Because there's a divine timetable and then there's an earthly timetable. And the people on earth wanted to accelerate things and have this man crucified. Jesus most wanted it on Jerusalem's door everywhere you go. But Jesus isn't going to go that way because you know why? Because there's a divine timetable to follow. Jesus knew this. He knew that he came to live a sinless life, to die the death you and I deserve. He knew that he would go according to prophecy, and Jesus Christ would be the fulfillment of Isaiah 53, the suffering servant, the lamb led to the slaughter, and that he would die for the sins of the world on Friday. And so his time previously had not yet come. Now the hour has come. Verse 1, look back at it. Now before the feast of the Passover, that's the final feast on Friday night, when Jesus knew that His hour had come. He knew. He knew exactly what was going to happen. God is all-knowing. Jesus is omniscient. It means He knows everything. He's knowing and what's he doing at the last second? What would you do if you know you got, you're going to die in 24 hours? You probably wouldn't hang out with a bunch of guys and start washing their feet. He knew this. What else? Why would he do it? I think he did it for love. I think he did it with love. Uh, look at the uh, continuing verse of verse 1. It says, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world, he's leaving, he's going to the cross, to the Father, go back to heaven, having loved his own who were in the world, that's his disciples, and that could include all of us too, he loved them, them, who is them, that's the disciples, to the what? Help me out, to the what? To the end. Jesus loved to the end, he'd spent... uh, Uh, three years with his 12 disciples, there was Simon Peter, the impetuous Peter. How many of you guys have seen the the Chosen, the video, where I think they do a pretty good portrayal of who Peter is? Jesus loved Peter. He's impulsive. He's impetuous. He's passionate. There's James, the son of Zebedee, the son of thunder. There's John, another son of thunder. These are wild guys, rough They're untamed, unfiltered, unhinged at times. 
There's Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. There's Philip, this thoughtful disciple. There's Bartholomew. He's really skeptical, but he becomes really faithful. There's Matthew, the Levi, the tax collector. He leaves his job to follow Jesus. There's Thomas, the doubter. There's James, the son of Alphaeus. There's Thaddeus. There's Simon the zealot. And then there's Judas Iscariot, the one nobody wants to be like. But why did God do this? Why did Jesus wash these disciples' feet? I did, he did it because He loved them. He did it to prove His love for His disciples. He did it, I think, to show them a model of humility, that humility is essential in the life of a leader. These are leaders. You wouldn't be here today if those 12 disciples didn't move forward and 11, Judas will be replaced, move forward and go start churches. That's the beginning. Those are the, the apostles. They built the entire church. Everything you know about Christianity hinged on them. And Jesus' life lesson is, is we're going to wash feet. You need to know Jesus Christ loves you despite your dysfunction. Jesus is devoted to you. Despite your troubles, despite, despite your trials, you're like one of those disciples that's faithless and dysfunctional. Like Peter, he'll deny the Lord. He did it, the Scripture says, and he loved him to the end. He did it for love. The psalmist says, give thanks to the Lord um, for his steadfast love endures forever. He did it for love. Number two, Jesus knew God's plan. Some of you guys uh, that were at camp, uh, I think this song broke out at one night. Am I correct? Uh, this song broke out by Drake. There's a rap star named Drake, and he has a song called God's Plan. I'm going to show you how it goes real quick. Somebody hit a beat. Just joking. Not going to do it. Uh, but Drake's got a song called God's Plan. And uh, I'm not going to exegete it by any means, but there is a plan. God has a plan. And it's recorded in Scripture, let's look back at verse 2, that this plan is very clear. During supper, when the devil had already put it in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, which Jesus knows that what's going to happen. It's not like he was surprised by Judas. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hands. In other words, you got this, Jesus. You know what you're getting into. And that he had come from God and he was going back to God. What did Jesus know? Three things that he knew. Very clearly, he knew that he would be betrayed. He knew that he would be betrayed. Um, perhaps he's thinking of the Psalms uh, where it says, even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, lifted his heel against me. I think there was a foreshadowing of the Psalms that indicate and predict the betrayal of Jesus Christ. He, Jesus, number one, he knew he was going to be betrayed. Number two, Jesus knew he was going to die a sacrificial death. He knew God's plan that he would serve as that sacrificial lamb according to Isaiah 53. According to what John the Baptist said, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He knew it would be Friday night. Jesus knew he would die. And number three, Jesus knew he would return to the Father. 
that his heart would be restored, that there'd be incredible fellowship. I think the hardest thing about Jesus' death would have been the weight of sin on, in, in his life, the weight of sin of the world upon him. Um, a perfect spotless lamb, a perfect a sinless man, and he knew he would return to the Father. Number four, Jesus rose to the occasion. Look what it says in verse four. Uh, he rose from, the, from supper. That's dinner time. It's my favorite time. It would have been very good food. The food, the meal had just ended. The disciples are probably laughing. They're having a good time. They're probably celebrating how God's been faithful. They're probably excited. They're like, man, what is Jesus going to do next? You know, man, there's a ton of people in Jerusalem. The food's been great. The wine's been great. The time's been great. But we are a little nervous, Jesus, because things are heating up. He rises from supper probably gets on his knees. I don't think he's standing up at this time. And then it says, he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. They're thinking, what is he about to do? It's like when Kurt pulled out the towels from the bag, I thought, this is interesting. We'll see how this goes. Jesus rose to the occasion. He takes the initiative. Uh, nobody expected this. This flabbergasted them. They kind of got an idea as to what's going to happen. Next week, you'll see the reaction of the disciples. They're pretty, they're pretty floored by what's about to take place. Jesus rose to the occasion, though. Jesus, you need to know about Jesus. He takes the initiative. He rises to the occasion. He rose to the occasion in the past when the devil had offered him a kingdom without a cross. Jesus uh, defeated him. When God would send him initially to the earth, he accepts the mission and he comes down from heaven, his heavenly throne, and he takes on human flesh. Jesus rose to the occasion when he lived the sinless life. He never sinned. He rose to the occasion in teaching truth when other people were teaching heresy. He rose to the occasion and he paid the ultimate price on the cross for our sins. He rose to the occasion when he rose from the grave and defeated the power of sin and Satan and set captives free. Jesus rose to the occasion. Um, this teaches me something about him. This teaches me something about my model for manliness. This teaches me something of what it looks like. You set aside your fear and you rise to the occasion. Jesus Christ did. He knew exactly what was going on. It's not like he didn't know. He knew exactly what was going on. The Bible tells us that there is a lot going on in this time. I can imagine the spiritual warfare going on. But let's finish up the passage. In verse 5, let's look at that just for a moment. It says that then he poured out the water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and then wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. I think this uh, pouring out of water, there's a symbolism that comes with that. And it was actually a part of uh, Jewish culture and celebration within the Feast of Booths. It would oftentimes uh, indicate a time of uh, cleansing or a time of renewal. I think obviously there's a spiritual meaning when Jesus pours this water out into this basin, this bowl. Um, the, there's a spiritual meaning, but there's a literal meaning. Let me explain the two. Obviously, the literal meaning would be is that he's pouring water into the bowl so that feet could get cleaned. 
that the feet could be immersed. It was a very uh, necessary act to wash somebody's feet because of where they had been. And so Jesus is going to do that. This was reserved for the lowest of the low. And Jesus, the high king of heaven, he humbles himself and he does this. As the apostle Paul says to the church in Philippi, he humbled himself and took on the form of a servant. There's that literal meaning that he does this, meeting a practical need, and I think there's that spiritual meaning, a time of cleansing and uh, repentance. The Scripture says, uh, according to Lamentations, that uh, water symbolizes oftentimes cleansing and repentance. In the book of Acts chapter 2, there's an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Um, there's a, in Isaiah, there's a pouring out of blessing. In Romans chapter 5, there's a pouring out of God's love into the hearts of believers. This pouring of water symbolizes God's grace and forgiveness. Jesus didn't just uh, model for them grace and forgiveness. Uh, in that moment, He had done it throughout His life and His ministry. Number six, it says that Jesus washed their feet. Um, Verse 5, then he poured out the water into a, ba a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that he wrapped around him. There was a literal cleansing that took place. He, he, they, were, he, they were being washed. Um, you've heard people say, man, Jesus washed away my sins. Um, there's a spiritual reality that when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, that you're washed and you're made new. When we baptize people after today's service, uh, they come up out of the water, and that water is symbolizing cleansing. It's the, it's the cleansing of Jesus Christ that He forgives you, and then when you come up out of the water, you should declare that you are a new creation, that you've been made new, that there's hope in Jesus Christ, that no matter what you've done, no matter what's been done to you, you can find forgiveness, hope, healing, cleansing, and restoration. Some of you know that you're forgiven, but you don't feel forgiven. Some of you know that maybe that God has uh, washed you, but you don't know if He's wiped your slate clean. He has. There's an important metaphor to remember in this is that Jesus cleanses, Jesus forgives, and this pouring out of water would have had incredible symbolic meaning. Number seven, I would say, is that we see Jesus wipe their feet. He just wipes their feet. Of course he does. He's drying off the water. What, what could this symbolize? I think it could symbolize in many ways is uh, a cleansing, but also a preparation for service. Uh, when Kurt dried my feet, after he left, I did something amazingly holy and spiritual. I put on my socks. That was it. Put on my socks. And I got ready for what was next. I think that in this, uh, he cleans them up. I think they're absolutely being prepared for a calling that is so difficult. Those 11 disciples, the 11 apostles, will die a martyr's death. Um, Thomas will die in India. Um, the others will be uh, crucified. Peter will be crucified upside down. Um, they will die a martyr's death. They were being prepared. What you need to know about Jesus Christ is that if you've been forgiven, you've also been given. If you've been cleansed, 
you've also been called. That if you experience His grace, He wants you to go. If you felt uh, renewed, He's got a, a, new, a new direction for you in life. And you're called to be a light of the world. God has prepared you. You may not feel qualified, but God who qualifies. Um, these guys were having to work through all of this in that moment, and they're very confused. You'll see next week as we study the passage. So in closing out, the question comes is, I have for you is, do you need to be cleaned up? There's some areas in your life that you're very ashamed of. You need to know Jesus Christ is that humble servant who bends down and washes people's feet. <laughs> Imagine washing Peter's feet. You're going to deny me in just a couple of days. No, within hours, actually. Um, do you need to be cleaned up? Don't do it on your own power. You can't cleanse yourself. Only Jesus can cleanse you. He's the only one. Some of you have sin, shame, and regret, and you're trying to get clean. Some of you have had something done to you, and you feel dirty, and you feel shameful and disgusting, and you can't get yourself clean. That's why sometimes when um, folks that have gone through different instances where they've been abused or assaulted, the first thing they do is they take showers. They want to get clean. What you need to know is Jesus Christ is the, the cleansing agent. He's the one who cleanses and makes you clean. You can't clean up yourself. When I became a Christian, you know what people always said to me? Hey, it's great to see that you've cleaned up your life. And I always told them, I did not clean up my life. Jesus Christ cleaned up my life. I promise you that. Why is this message important? I said it earlier, but I think the more you know who he is, the better you'll know how to live. I think the more you know who Jesus Christ is and the kind of uh, example that he set for us, the better you'll know how to live. We love because he first loved us. We forgive because God has forgiven us. We comfort others because God has comforted us. We serve because God has served us. We give because God has given. Amen? When you know who he is, you know how to live. He is the perfect example. He is the paragon for you. You can't find a model for manhood. You can't find a model for ministry. You can't find a model of what it means to be a, a good person because you didn't have a good dad. You didn't have a good mom. You have a great heavenly father. You have a great older brother named Jesus. You have a great helper named the Holy Spirit. And Jesus Christ exemplifies perfectly what it looks like to be human and still walk and live in holiness. Why do I think this ma message matters? A few different reasons. Number one, I think humble people are the peacemakers of life. I think humility is so important. I think humility is forgotten. Humility is not thinking um, less of yourself like you're a nobody. Humility is thinking of yourself less. When you stop thinking about yourself all the time, I don't know how many thoughts you have in a given day. I forgot. I've done the research before. But humility is when you stop thinking about yourself so much that you start thinking more about others, that you think about their needs, their issues, what they're going. The humble people are the peacemakers. The prideful people, those are the troublemakers. In this church, in the last 12 years, the biggest problems we've ever had have never come from the humble people. 
The most problems that any church faces is not with humble people, it's with prideful people. It's probably true in your family. Pride and arrogance always deflect, always uh, covering up, never owning things. Prideful people are the troublemakers. Humble people are the peacemakers. We need humble people. Great example for you if you want to study humility and what it looks like to be a Christian in a very crazy world is the casebook study of Daniel. He's in a very tumultuous, toxic environment for his work environment. His family life has been uh, devastated. He's kidnapped, brought to Babylon, indoctrinated by the educational system. He's under political just craziness that's going on, and he's a humble man. So I said number one was just the humble people are the peacemakers. Number two, prideful people are the troublemakers. What kind of person do you want to be? Do you want to be a peacemaker or do you want to be a troublemaker? And then last, I would say, I think this is the most encouraging one for me um, that I, I just kind of thought about this more clearly this morning. I wasn't preparing on sharing this, but I was like, man, that is so good. So I'll share it. Um, for me is I think humble people enjoy their salvation far more than prideful people do because humble people know that they need Jesus. Humble people know that they are lost without Christ. Uh, humble people enjoy their salvation and as a result, I think humble people can better endure hardship. Because when you're prideful, you're like, how could this happen to me? I've done everything right. Humble people say, God, it's a screwed up world, but thank you, I've got the Holy Spirit to help me through today. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that I still have my salvation, that, I, that you promised new, that today, each day is a new day, your mercies are new every single day. Daniel, again, is a great case study for in the hardship and the tragedy that he's going through, he endures hardship uh, with a humble, peaceful, a joyful heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. I pray that the truth that's unpacked today will impact the lives of these men and women. Thank you for them. Lord, whatever they're going through, give them peace and encouragement that you're there with them, that you love them, that nobody has done anything that's too far gone, that they can't be cleansed, renewed, restored, redeemed. And so, Father, in our response time, I just pray that you refresh and renew us. In the mighty name of Jesus, everybody said... Amen. Uh, Thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to support North Valley Church by partnering with us through giving, you can do so by visiting us online at northvalley.org. Thanks and have a great day.